Preoccupies us, affects us, and is and leads our lives is where we where we feel we're at, where we are physically. So we can think we're in Buddha's monastery, Dukkha with these people, and this particular day, this day is the half moon. So this means that the group practice until midnight and then time for people's personal initiative to take them on as they see fit and tomorrow nothing much happening that kind of openness in the space here we are living this life and uh, in a quite a pleasant part of the world Somebody went to a Buddhist group the other day and they said, don't the monks find the problem of having too much pleasure? You know, they live in such a lovely place. Don't they find the difficulty getting attached to all the pleasure that's associated with living in this lovely place in West Sussex? I said they didn't find it a problem. <laughs> and that, believe it or not, after a while that lovely place in West Sussex becomes a backdrop one's dukkha. He looked slightly surprised but got the point. So uh, where we're at physically is perhaps um, not where we're at intimately, personally. Um, And uh, where we're at personally um, can be actually Difficult, sometimes very difficult to define exactly. The geographical location is comfortably definite, but actually inaccurate. Uh, the psychological, emotional location is changing, fluctuating, sometimes difficult to even express, even to know for oneself. And yet, it's that is where we're at. And uh, we begin to get ideas of where we're at from the way the world looks to us and perhaps particularly when it's thrown into it's highlighted when we can suddenly see a a lovely day in August in a forest monastery place in leafy green West Sussex with nothing much to do as a time of great doubt fury, irritation, awkwardness loss, dread 
tension and so on. Why? Where, where's this? And we know that we're, we're beginning to get a readout of where we're at. Uh, it's a sign. This is what a nimitta, a sign, is like this. You see that actually you're able to recognize one is in a, one is held in a particular sign, a mood of doubt or irritation, a nagging irritation. It's got no specific cause, but everything is seen through it. Or of grief, feeling of aloneness, loss, need for comfort, need to, for caring, need for love, some kind of hunger to be, to own, to have, to belong, hunger for some kind of warm, embracing experience, hunger for some kind of surge of vitality and a belief in something we can do and act on and places to go and things to, to make and create and causes. Uh, these are these, these these things that the mind uh, um, is seeking out the desire to be and become and feel charged with the becoming energy of having something to do and something to place to go and a definition and all that some sort of sense contact which will embrace us and make us feel comfy and nice some sense of permanent, stable identity will make us feel secure, know who we are, which and occasionally these things click into consciousness. For a moment one is something, becomes something, is full of filled by something, and then it fades out, and then there's the the wrench of impotence. Or for that moment, we're with something that's very nice and beautiful and fills us and warms us and then there's the wrench when it disappears and we're in a state of loss. I feel very clear who we are, our relationships with people, our position, and then we're challenged. Some of the supports for that fall apart and we fall apart. Our energy goes. This is so we can witness this kind of these these qualities, these things that possess us, take over that we want to have possess us. We're yearning to be possessed by some, one of the, some one of these asavas, one of these kind of outflows, one of these things that can fill and inflate us. So you thirst for them, but they they're changing. They're Magnetic, they're like gods that possess us, infuse us, and then leave us. And then we feel the kind of yearning for another one to be taken by, to be filled by. And where, so where we're at can either be possessed by these or searching for these. In terms of possession, is the sign of of the characteristic, the sign of fulfilment, raga, which means to be impassioned. So raga's passion doesn't just mean a kind of simple little 
lost the experience it's the whole kind of inflation surge that we can have the raga associated with being something we feel empowered glorious even if it's this kind of minor thing the raga associated with sensuality the raga associated with views we're going to convince this is right you know, can feel if it's all flushed with this experience this is raga passion fulfillment or false fulfillment so there's a but it's impermanent isn't it no. or it, you begin to recognize just the amount of of stressing and manipulating that, that it requires to keep it going keep it some, you know, to keep that going, and then when it dis- when it's not there, when we feel, you know, our balloon is pricked, when, it's, when it runs down, when the, then there's the feeling of loss, uh, weakness, impotence. And in that state suddenly fulfillment and passion seems so convincing. Remember when I was, you know, was it like for your Anagarika or somewhere or well it's not, you know. I mean perhaps it was it like you're a bhikkhu, you know, and you think, well, three years ago, you know, suddenly it looked so rosy. There I was, I had a job, I had a girlfriend, I had a little house and doing this, you know, you don't have to struggle, but you felt you were alive, you were doing things, a challenge, all that kind of thing. Somebody looked after me, somebody loved me. Now what? Drab old nobody, slumping around, taking the pig bucket down to the farm, sitting around in the evening, dull, daydreaming, lost in regret, craving for a lump of chocolate. <laughs> something to get impassioned by you know, fulfillment comes down to just that much <laughs> how long before the midnight break possibility of two squares of chocolate you know? it's humiliating isn't it when one kind of one sense of, of <laughs> can't even have grand passions anymore <laughs> you know when you went to big either the uh, Things we can try to become, you know, like the person in charge of the lawns. I'm the person. I'm the person in charge of the stove. I'm the kitchen manager for the day. Or this is my pantry. <laughs> These kind of things we can get hooked into, in positions and so on. So of course, the, upon those particular apparent realities, those things that possess us, then the, well, the little hindrances and the, what are called kilesas or the momentary defilements nestle so the asavas are like the, the kind of the, the nesting ground so upon those, those fundamental um, outflows the thirst, the passion for being for sensuality and that which doesn't see this the, the ignorance doesn't see this, the, the, the denials, the distractions, the, uh, the refraction 
which means that it's, it's these these things these things that grip us are so intimate, so believed in, we don't even see them. We think it's out there. You know, we think that really monastic life is like this. You know, and you're really in the dumps, being a nun, being a monk. You know, in Garikai, just this kind of drudgy old stuff where nobody ever listens to you. And you're stuck in these things all day. And you know, and that, and it's you know, you can point out all the you can see all the facts line up to prove it. It's that this is called the power of ignorance, and it possesses one. But it means it always pushes it out there. And it's, it's happening to me. It's not something I'm doing. It's something that's happening to me. This is the power of ignorance, where we can't even see that it's it's anything that we're doing in ourselves. So these outflows are then the nesting ground for irritation, for dullness. When you get, you feel pointless, bored, hopeless. What can you do? You get dull, droopy, irritation, edginess. You're kind of, you're wired up to be snappy. You've got kind of tender points that somebody only has to touch and you fly off the handle about. Or greed, things like that. Kind of, we get stuck in because of these these things that capture us. And we're wanting to be captured, of course, is another aspect of, of ignorance. So often even when we when we practice and consider Dhamma, then it's here with me practicing meditation, sitting in the shrine and practicing meditation. So I'm going to do this and my mind's like this. I want to try to make my mind this way but it won't behave. This is this is ignorance. This is when one's possessed by wrong view. Because how how can you have me and my mind? Where's me if it's separate from my mind? You know, it's actually the the demonstration of this refracting process in the most intimate level where we've, we've kind of created a division between the apparent self and the mind just as in on a, on a grander scale we create a division between apparent me and the world say the world's there world's a mess, Chittas is this way monasticism's like this life's like that and I'm separate from it looking at it and feeling all these kind of feelings about it And then we can do the same thing with the mind. Here am I, my mind's like this, what can you do about it? It's going through some rough stuff. How can you control it? Will it ever get liberated? No. Here am I, stuck with it. That's convincing, isn't it? I mean, you can talk in those terms and it makes sense. But what it doesn't do, it never leads to any kind of, it can't ever lead to any liberation. And you begin to recognise that. You begin to feel just held down by your own mind, stuck in a situation that you can't cope with, that's bigger than you are. And the mind, with its with its uh, uncontrollable moves and feelings, bigger than you are, getting bigger all the time. And you try and control it, it just laughs and dumps on you. So then the 
as long as one is still in the possession of that ignorance, then well, you, know, you don't actually challenge that view and you remain incapable and mesmerized by this, this, these transferred, these projected images and impressions, signs, nimittas, a sign of despair, a sign of, of delusion, a sign of hatred, a sign of longing, a sign of need. These are what are meant by signs, nimittas. So recognize what, what one is held by. This is the first stage of real of process of realization, recognizing what one is held by. So when we see, you know, we're looking at our day, our life, our fr- uh, people around us, can you discern the impression, the general impression of how you're held, how you feel in that? Do you feel inferior? Do you feel contempt? Do you feel longing? Do you feel just know to know what's holding you? So because of that, that then you can actually recognise that sign. These things change for us, and they're conditioned. So the other day, I was at, I went to English Sangha Trust meeting at Amrawati, and so you got English Sangha Trust meeting, which is not an unfriendly meeting. It's not a kind of hostile, negative, kind of pleasant enough in a way. Five or six people sitting around considering what to do. You know about this, that, and the other. What would be good for the monasteries? What's needed? And so that you go through a process. This went on for eight thirty in the morning till about four thirty in the in the afternoon. Had a break for a meal, and so it wasn't. You know, it was all right. And yet, for that time, one is conditioned into sitting on a chair with these bits of paper, black and white, with figures. You know, so much is required to fix this roof, to maintain this, then how much money have we got? Not enough, you know, okay. Then this is projected for 97, this is what could happen in 98. These figures, these facts, these money, uh, people, uh, resources, uh, things breaking down, things need to be done, um, you know. And then maybe, ne- you know, then new haunting possibilities of what could need to be done. The lake is silting up. Because it costs twenty thousand pounds to dredge the hammer pond, otherwise we lose it forever. No more herons, no more gazing over the rippling water. Just an old sludgy marsh with mosquitoes in it, forever. Oh my God, twenty thousand pounds all that money of your life. These kind of things. The roofs are breaking up. The sewage is failing. Uh, insurance costs are going up. This is happening. That's happening. At the end of the day, you're held in this. You're actually kind of conditioned by this process. So your mind is thinking, "Hey, what could this? What could go about that?" Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't got any money. I can't do any of this. I can't dredge a pond, a spade, or something. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a brass farthing. How can I do? You're feeling a total impotence, and yet tremendous urgency. And you, and you're near your director, Abbot. Do, 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 all this kind of stuff about it. You held in this this thing, and it's like just being put in a, a, a tank, like a bath, where it's saturated in this particular 
experience. And as I say, it was not, you know, there's no, no kind of ill will or anything unpleasant, but just being in that conditioning process. You get to the end of the day, and you, good guy, God, you know. So you get back here, and you're in this kind of mode of, oh no, um, do something. Um, uh, you know, what a life is. This is tough. You know, what's going to happen? In that kind of mode. So you start looking at things in that way. So you kind of go around quick, quick, and sweep the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Tell somebody to do something. You can't, you can't, I mean, you know. So you're actually in that mode, conditioned process, being possessed by this particular thing. And I guess it happens for all of us, doesn't it? If you're working in the forest, or you, you, know, you see all these trees. I, I sometimes I go out in the forest. I can't bear to look at it. So I look around. It. Oh my God, the bird is taking over. Oh no. Is it? Oh, there's the rhododendrons are taking over too. God, there's the path is disappearing. You've got to clear that path clear. We don't get that. The rabbits are eating those guards. We don't get those rabbit guards. Those trees that have been growing for ten years will be destroyed. <laughs> path are choked. Lovely trees that spent years of effort growing will be destroyed utterly. Oh God. To run back here. Not myself in my room, look at the wall, but the plaster's cracking at the wall. <laughs> <laughs> look out the window, the window needs cleaning. <laughs> the wood's chipping. Hell. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, then you come down and see you get these brown mineral envelopes with the abbot written on it. You open up. Dear abbots, oh Lord. Dear abbots, tax demand, or complaint, or, you know, oh, help. put it in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> so this is what you call this kind of conditioning process. So then, you know, what are you going to do? You sit and meditate, sitting there feeling this meditation is what? It's like, oh, let's, if I sit here, it will go away. <laughs> oh, yeah, but as soon as I open my eyes and walk in that door, it will be there. The real, the apparent real world out there, the real world. And we begin to recognise it as a sign, a sign of agitation, sign of restlessness, sign of delusion. You know, and what you can do, you can feel, I'm fed up. Why should I have to deal with all this sort of stuff? These kind of chelases get sewn into it. You know. We look at the, look at the, you know, the other people. Why don't you do something? Why is it all up to me all the time? You know, these kind of things happen. So eventually, in meditation, we're trying to come to realize what you know, not what am I doing, but what am I doing? What I'm doing will actually be dependent on. The, where I'm at, find out like just to recognise perhaps either recognise through what I'm doing to recognise where I'm at. Like if I'm desperately trying to do something, or maybe you feel in your meditation it's just always a kind of falling away, falling asleep. It means I'm trying to avoid. I don't want to know. I'm trying to get out. I don't want to experience things. Or what is it? What are you doing in your meditation? What are you doing in your day? You're rushing around in your day. You know, you have the monastic day, and you're kind of morning puja, and then the, the 
morning gruel, say what needs to be said, and do the chores. Go arms round, meditate, whatever, have the meal. Go and collect the alms food, put the food in the bowl, chant the blessing, consider the purpose of the food, feeling of gratitude at being supported, eat the mood, meal, noticing taste, sense consciousness, these kind of things. Start cleaning the bowl respectfully, work, move in silence, so that one is held in that particular mode. Clean the bowl, put it away, clean the shrine room, do the dishes, so on. But perhaps it's not like that, is it? Or maybe it's kind of feel this kind of thing in the mind going, oh, I better get that done by so and so and so. So that is there. So we perhaps we could go through the arm, the kitchen, put the, sling the food in the bowl because we just you know the mind is actually held in this mood of I'm gonna get on and get into this done, you know. Gonna make a phone call after the meal and so and so and then get the meal, eat the food. Actually still are very much contained in that mentality, that mindset. Not noticing. Not not, not noticing. And the more we don't notice, the less we're actually able to connect to some of these trainings because they're there, they just get in the way or they don't seem relevant to where we're at. Don't seem related to what's what's possessing me at the moment. Where I'm at, what I've got to do, who I am. So then you get maybe you get a tension between the two. But then look at where you're at. What you're being held by. Is it? Skillful or unskillful? Does it lead towards nibbana or not? Is nibbana something that you can use very roughly as a metaphor of lightness, of non-constriction, non-panic, non-pressure? Ease, the supreme ease. Where we're at, if we're following where we're at, does it feel like it's leading that way? Not towards fulfilment not towards raga, but towards cessation. Mm, does it feel like it's going that way? So just noticing, testing, because it's important if we're trying to live our life towards that, to, to be able to tell ourselves, to know ourselves, to teach ourselves, to train ourselves in that way. Nobody else can do it. The words that I say, you will hear from where you're at as same old thing or laying a trip on me or inspiring you'll hear them pick where you're at I'll hear what you say from where I'm at that's no blame it's just fact isn't it I'm not saying you should be where I'm at but to know where you're at this is the first bit to feel it out Now actually in this, um, this situation, what one makes of it, it's, it is very, it's quite, quite free really. In a way it seems so jammed, so, so locked, so tight because of 
grasping. Many things, life does seem very tight. But the tightness is coming from the way it's held. You may not you may not understand this or take want to take it on. But the solidity of something is exactly a representation of the firmness of one's own grasping. Path is very much towards emptiness, cessation, simelessness, freedom, void, deliverance. These words come thumping down time and time and time again in the Buddha's dispensation. This Dhamma discipline has one taste only, that of liberation. This is when it's this is what he's, he's saying. If it doesn't feel like that, if it feels like restriction, throttling, stupidity, being dumped on, then it's the time to investigate if one wants to make a go of it to have this opportunity, this rare opportunity. If it's, you know, if an investigation is like that, then it's not worth doing, is it? But to investigate means you one has to have be prepared to, to recognize that where we're at, however accurate it is, is not necessarily a place of truth or reality. It can be a fantasy, being possessed. And this is something to, to understand, not from a, some kind of negative critical position. You know, it goes like that. Um, cultivation. So to recognize and to cultivate the cultivation the direction of it has to be from towards liberation, abandonment of where we're at. It's not, not rejection, denial, but actually slipping out of it, passing through the net, the thing that holds us, and the desire to be held towards boundlessness, towards freedom. So we have the simplest, this life itself, what is the form of the holy life. And uh, when you form of the holy life is basically um, morality, ethics, such as renunciation, celibacy, these things, a profound sense of relinquishment of the sense realm, not holding it, not asking for things from it, not expecting anything from it, that kind of giving it up, abandonment. It's about mendicancy, meaning that we're in context, we're not on our own, 
we are in, in a context that nourishes us choicelessly, we can't ask it to, but it does so we're in this situation where we are supported meditation form of the holy life about meditation, about centering into the mind calming the mind, understanding the mind brightening the mind, freeing the mind gladdening the mind, and so on about these are the, this is the form of our life It has to be actualized so you can feel it. But what do you feel? How is it? Where are you know? What do you when you say the monastic life? What does it mean to you? Does it mean sitting in rows? Does it mean you say oh the monastic form? It means a situation where I feel stupid and frustrated as a sign of my loyalty to the triple gem. <laughs> does it you know? Does it mean this? Does it mean power and hierarchy? Perhaps it means that, perhaps it feels like that for us. But if it does, then there's things that are being held, we're held into. And you can miss these things for the, the main form of this life. Main form of the, the, the form of this life that's set down is that which gives us great potential and joy just to recognize you know feeling it like what it is to be a mendicant what it is to so that you have a sense of uh, clear consciousness about morality you know, when it's actually concerned involved intimately involved with the mind's purity or impurity very imp- in, very connected to it you know Feeling it, recognizing it, acknowledging it, confessing it. You know, I said this, I did that. This is not correct. You know, to oneself, this is the form of our life. That's that's a, that's a very powerful um, forms for us to to help change the nimitta from that of delusion into that of which gives us the supports for awakening, which is joy confidence clarity they have to be activated you know, because without if there's you know maybe it's all around you all around me if I don't engage with it then I engage with what I engage with oh the pond oh the plaster oh the trees oh this oh that that's what I engage with. I don't engage with that form. I engage with this, this other stuff can possess me. Yeah. And different, probably different for you. So, you know, you can't really just hang out. If you're not, if you don't engage with one, you get, you get captured by the other, basically. This is, uh, there's no neutral territory. It's nice to imagine one can kind of float and <laughs> but uh, you know, it's this is uh, this is real life. You know, it's tough stuff. You've got to pick it up or get grabbed. And the picking it up is something that uh, we can do 
like with mindfulness, is very much a moment-by-moment thing. And in our life, you've got simple things that are repeated, so, okay, you know, you lost it. Right, well, okay, now we'll start. Yesterday was a total disaster, well, now we'll start now. You know, you can always do that with a holy life. That's one of the great beauties of it. You have ten years of utter misery, right, that's the past and now. And you can start with, you know, very simple things, little things. Oh, it's, it's, it's the beauty of it, the great generosity of it is that the Buddha Dharma, is you're not starting from some kind of incredibly high level of belief, conviction, purity, energy, diligence. You're starting at things like get your robes on, you know, be aware of what it what that happened, what that's like. You're starting with that kind of moment by moment mindfulness on a as a kind of physical basis. You know, the four foundations of mindfulness. What mood is in my mind? What's the mindset? Jitta. Moment by moment. What's the body about? And we have these, uh, sometimes when these things just haven't got enough grip for us, then you've got things like deliberate recollections. And this is an area to, to cultivate. Often um, where we're, what we're held by is vigor is captures at the thought process and the emotions. You know, you get a powerful em- set of emotions are holding you. You know, or or and associated with particular thoughts, or you may feel it more like thoughts. You know, with emotions behind them, one dominates or both together. Thoughts and emotions. So recollection, you're actually deliberately catching and using a particular mode of thought. Now if you notice, the, the things that catch us are always demanding and solid and incessant. They demand. They put pressure on you. You have to work against that. And the recollections are often things that uh, don't have a lot of push in them, a lot of pressure in them. You have to actually reactivate and get your mind to think, consider, to think it through slowly, reflectively, what it means to reflect. For example, one of the reflections on the four requisites. I don't know if this is something that occurs in, in your thinking processes. Maybe we chant it in the morning, it's one of those things that your mouth moves around, hear the sound, and the mind is somewhere else. We're held by something else. So we think, here we go again. <laughs> Must learn this one day. You know. <laughs> you know, so, or is it actually you know, the robes? So not, not the robes as an abstract concept, but this thing. These, these bits of cloth. I can hold my hand, I feel in my hands. You know. The food, the alms food, not, not as a concept, interesting Buddhist concept, but actually tangible stuff that you, you can recollect and feel and taste, eat. Mm. So you, if you use these recollections, you can they give you a sense of contentment. I am somebody who has all they need. On this kind of level, I mean, that, that idea of you're saying, well, this recollection is, an armed mendicant needs these four requisites. Needs shelter, 
is robes, food, medicine and shelter and you have them and you can you can point to them you can feel them you can look at them you can taste them you can touch them and they're there and they support you and they're given so is that feeling you know if you actually hold that thought as long as you hold that thought the robes I can now feel the robe on my shoulder keeping me warm now as long as that thought is in the mind then we're not thinking about the lake, the dam, the plaster <laughs> what I'm going to do, the letters the program, the computer's breaking down da, 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 the future of the Sangha <laughs> so we're actually holding a thought that makes you feel simple no problem got it here it is and if that is actually held and taken down because it's recollected so it becomes an emotional quality just as if we think the thought there's so much to do today there's 50,000 people arriving today for dana you think that thought in your mind oh kitchen manager there's 50,000 people arriving today for oh my god no, no crazy <laughs> it sets up an emotion doesn't it what about thinking the thought there is alms food today and all that you need to eat will be put in your bowl and actually that thought is held long, you know, to, give, to give rise to a corresponding emotion now you can see that these recollections are not the ones of impulse are they they're not the ones that you know, get you hopping they, t- <laughs> they tend to dispassion not to passion they tend not to being possessed they tend to f- feeling a oh, oh. So what? What's that then? Nothing to do, is it? They tend to that kind of whew, ceasing of, of preoccupation. That's why they're, they're difficult because they don't grip. That's why they're called the signs of deliverance, of freedom. And to get the taste for it, require you have to kind of hold that particular thought, you take it in, feel what it's doing, taste it. Contentment. To be contented rather than something else. And in that state of contentment, a little bit of one's identity kind of isn't. It doesn't really matter who you are, does it? There's a so it kind of frees one from the sense of self, because you can't say, I got robes, you know. I go, go down the, to all the other monks saying, I got robes, I got a bowl, I got arms for it. So big deal, so have I, you know. <laughs> Happens every day, you don't have to think about it, doesn't it? So it's not really anything you make a self out of. And we have the opportunity to do it, and it's even chanted, and yet. You know, it's like there and you see right through it, transparent. So freedom and deliverance is, of course, doesn't have the same possessiveness. Recollection of death, one's own death, you know. Take that one in. Something we chant, I am the nature to sicken, age, die. 
all these people around me exactly the same, they're sick and they age and they die. Yet, you know, what nimitta is that ring give rise to? It doesn't give rise to a feeling of it's a, it connects us all, doesn't it? We're not looking at the differences, whether we're old or young, you know, what whether we're bright and witty or kind of a bit slow or shy or powerful or gentle or whatever. So what? Aging sickness, death. And this, my own aging sickness, death. And my ideas, and my hopes, and my interesting little quirks, and my possibilities of what I might be. Aging sickness, death. (laughs) (laughs) Racing cert. Death, you know. And all my interesting past, when I was like as a little boy. Why I'm like this now? Is it because of things that happened when I was a teenager? And, you know, or is it something of a past life? Aging, sickness, death, certain. Kind of clears clears things away, doesn't it? And then, well, what am I going to do for the Sangha? What what, What about the monastery? What about the trees? What about the forest? The future of Buddhism in Britain? future of the monastic order, or the nuns, the monks. Will I be this? Do I need to go to Thailand? Aging, sickness, death. Hmm. All that kind of stuff. Self-importance. One is just like a finger moving through space. And you look behind the finger, and that's how much trace you leave. Because of aging, sickness, death. And it could be tomorrow, it's happening now. It's not an abstract concept. Do I believe in or think might happen something? It's now I'm aging, sickening, dying. I can feel it. <laughs> they connect to the, these things. Is it, what's the limiter? Is it one of, oh my God, a depressing, sick thought, a morbid? You know, or is it feeling of, well, well that leaves it free, doesn't it? Yeah. taking away the burden of self-importance yeah. the world will go on or not with or without me yeah. kind of leaves one a sense of, of dispassion and freedom rather than depression panic He says, oh yeah, this is very good, it helps you give up sexuality or something. Mm. But maybe it's, it's kind of, you know, it just kind of the mind takes the words like it could be words read out of a telephone directory. You know, it's just the gabble of verbiage. It's got no, doesn't go any deeper. Mm. So then, of course, it's not, it isn't being cultivated, it isn't being taken to the right place and used. Take you to the right place, you get a nimitta. You get the nimitta you're held, or the, the way the mind is held is a quality of dispassion. If you don't take it to that point, then it's just some ideas which may be useful, but probably um, tend to gradually wear out in their significance. As we recognize in these monasteries, every day we are chanting, I relinquish everything to the blessed one, going forth, homelessness, and living is impermanent, 
please lift me up to Nibbana. <laughs> you know, chanting this every day. Praise to the Buddha. I devote myself utterly to the Sangha. <laughs> and then, you know, how far does that go? Because he's chanting words, he's not going to, you know, doesn't mean anything really. But those recollections, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, if they're actually taken to the point where it becomes a sign, give you the feeling of uh, vigor, you know, like clarity, vigor, connectedness to, to, to truth. What is Buddha? I was looking at the one, uh, something today and it says, uh, qualities of a Tathagata. It says the, the Tathagata, the origin of the world is fully understood by a Tathagata. The, origin, the world is that which is completely relinquished by a Tathagata. The cessation of the world is completely comprehended by a Tathagata. The path leading to the cessation of the world is totally cultivated by a Tathagata. The world, what world? The world of where I'm at. Me, mine, them out there. What I've got to do tomorrow, yesterday, my problems, my life. How to fulfill myself as a 20th century man, woman, whatever, you know. That understands it as it arises, knows the way to its ceasing, cultivates it. That, to me, that image of the Buddha is, is, you know, whatever your taste in physical forms are, that's the nimitta the sign of the Buddha that I find, you know, I can lift myself towards. It's real for me. Because then one can, if one practices, one can recognize that quality, that presence, that possibility in oneself to recognize, to know the origin of one's world, to know where you're at. Even this much is a quality of a Tathagata, just to know where you're at and not to be possessed by it. You know, this is dukkha. This is called vision, clarity, knowledge. So recollections can help us towards, if they're properly developed, can just take your, take you out of the spin of discursive thought, wayward thought, thought that's just grinding on in circles and taking one into the thicket of views and entanglement and congestedness and contractedness and being held and all that can grab that vehicle and turn it towards Nibbana recollection nimittas as we meditate using the breath or the body how is the body held? How does it hold you? Is it just a kind of limp bag with bits of pain in it? Under your brain somewhere. How is it held? How do you how do you hold your body? Is it being kind of sitting? 
You know, can we walk with our body, stand with it, so you actually fill it, your mind full of the body, body full of mind, until you get a, a, a sign, instead of a sign of of disconnectedness, of painfulness, of a kind of wacky oh, energies all over the place, you get a sign of, of, of that's clear, that's bright or it's firm, that your mind can take refuge in that sign and receive that quality being held by clarity, mindfulness, vigour. You see how these, this is what nimittas are, they're not just specific little kind of pretty visions we can have, they're, they're what holds us. And if we are connect to these and we are able to cultivate the skillful nimittas kindness seeing things through the eye of compassion experiencing our body through the presence of mindfulness taking our day in terms of the Dhamma Vinaya living our life as friends of the Buddha as heirs to the Buddha as the recipients of Arms, food, and so on. People who have all they need. You know, these are these are nimittas. These are signs. And sure, you know, they're just they're just that. But they lead one towards this passion, and towards no longer thirsting for passion, no longer thirsting for fulfilment. So then, the signs themselves begin to. Be discarded, fade out. So the final deliverance is called signless. There's no particular characteristic to it at all, apart from its freedom. But this liberation is a conditioned process of translating the world into Dhamma, translating the Dhamma of conventions into the Dhamma of Deliverance. So we have this um, continuing opportunity and uh, always I recommend, encourage, even if it takes time just to kind of sit and find out where, you know, where you're at and then not don't see it as where you're at but see it as something that's holding you just look at it like that could it be more useful look at it not oh, you know I'm in this bad state or I think this or everybody's like that to me today or life's like this or Buddhism doesn't work you know just see it as I'm held by fear by mistrust by by suffering by negativity just even to translate it to that it's going to bring up some kind of response of maybe of of compassion or of urgency. You know, let's get on with you know, do something about this now. You know, it's not out there. And then you your practice follow your practice through from those places of realization, realization of suffering, realization of the need for abandonment. 
after this field of flexion.